0: Come on now Feed my hungry heart Looking for a big big picture It washes over, washes over me Upside down in the night Heart is running like a race. My voice is rising like a thunder now There won't be no stopping me There won't be no stopping me
1: Welcome to Musical Osmosis, where intelligent dissonant thought meets melodic euphonious reality. I am your musically magnanimous host, Nick Saucy one CatSource, broadcasting to you as always from Meth Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my procussively proficient co-host, calling in all the way from Charm City, Maryland, my pal, Odell. What's up, man? Nothing, man. So, um, kind of give us the Charm City update. Is things shut down in Baltimore yet?
2: Uh, not fully. Uh, they they have done the uh all non-essential businesses close at five. Um, uh, they 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 did that yesterday. Governor Hogan did that yesterday. Um, pretty much. Maybe you split, have everybody
1: their mother saying we're essential. Like GameStop tried to pull that shit.
2: I know, no. The 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 only ones that are essential, of course, are the ones you know, the grocery stores. Uh, it's funny they posted uh, liquor stores. Um, uh, and you know, thing, uh, and then of course, um, you know, the federal, uh, government hospital things of that nature. But pretty much everything is on. It. it I think within the next week, I, I wouldn't be surprised by the end of the week if they say, uh, shelter in place. Um, just because of the way it's growing here. Um, like we keep doubling like day by day.
1: Yeah. the numbers um, are scary, man.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, um, and with Maryland, like the DMV area being so transit, um, those numbers can fluctuate. So, uh, um, it, it is a scary thing. And when it's basically, you just got to figure out who you need to listen to. So for me, Um, Of course, I listen to my work and then um, to what Governor Hogan usually says, because other uh, sources aren't as reliable, unfortunately, nowadays.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. The internet is a fucking potpourri of insane people. Like, they're, they're transmitted through 5G and beaming into your head. I mean, I've got a new podcast now, by the way, guys, called Apocalyptic Peanut Butter. And the whole podcast is just co- totally focused on coronavirus, uh the latest news about it. We have different guests on, mu- mostly uh, musicians and comedians talking about how it's affecting their community. And we'll right. pick a news story from that day that has to do with corona and kind of talk about it like on a little panel episode. Yeah,
2: yeah. And uh it it needs to be done. Um you know like would, when people ask me I just tell them to uh stick with the experts man, just listen to you know whatever the CDC comes out with, whatever the the WHO comes out with, whatever the who? known doctors, the <laughs> the World <laughs> <laughs> Health Organization uh uh the experts in this uh, because there's just so much BS that's being said. And it's unfortunately because it's coming from the top. So uh, you have to pick and choose. And of course people are trying to rationalize all of this, which is trying to rationalize something that's pretty basically irrational right now. And um, just stay put, man. That's all I can tell you is just stay put. They're not doing that. That's the one thing that gets me is, people not staying put when they should be because the last thing your government government wanted wants to do your local your your state in in and of course the country is shut everything down that's the last thing and they for want to all do all you
1: conspiracy theorists out there that he's saying they just want to shove us all in our homes to execute the you know some kind of mk ultra jade helm conspiracy <laughs> no no the government is is manly Funded and supported by big-ass corporations, and they don't want you at home. They want you in Walmart, bulk buying. Yes. They yeah. want you out there spending money because the world revolves around fucking money. That's why they exactly. call it Starbucks, because they make the bucks for the universe. That's it. It's all That's about it. the money. Anyways, um, speaking of which, well, let me get D in here real quick. Because mm-hmm. Dee is always back there making us sound pretty. And long after yep, we're yep. on air, back watching TV, she's there with her headphones and editing this so we don't That's sound it. complete assholes. Hey, somebody's got to do it. Why is it always <laughs> got to be you? Hey, you know, I'm rolling up on 500 episodes that I've hosted. But since you were the producer of so many podcasts on Tin Can Media, I'm mm-hmm. sure you've produced over 500 podcasts by now. Maybe. Because I'm only about 20 away. Oh. I know you've produced 20 mm. podcasts I haven't been on. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to check.
3: <laughs> Maybe. If there's a way to do that. There's no way to do
0: that.
1: I mean, son, Yeah, I'm sure you've produced Mama Creepies and Rob's show and Mary show and stuff like that. Yeah. You've done 20 of those. Oh, yeah, so,
2: combined. I mean, uh, yeah, I would think so.
1: And I'm, I think last time I counted, I was like at 478. I'm going to be hitting 500 real quick. All right. So now on to some more Corona sad news. Because of Corona, you will be taking a little hiatus from the show. Yes,
2: yes, uh, uh, all because of work. Um, yesterday, we were deemed uh, a lot of us were deemed essential personnel, So um, no matter what happens, we still got to go in. like I've been hey. I, like I have not been home. Uh, I go in every day, um, which is, is it's, it's the weirdest feeling because there's no traffic on the roads. Uh, my commute hasn't been this great since God knows how long. But yet you feel like weird. It, it's just weird. But we got all of our notification and our special paperwork that we have to show just in case they do um, issue a shelter in place. Where if we get pulled over, we show them that. And they're like, "All right, on the work." And, show your and papers, sure you Odell. Never That's thought we'd come to
1: that day. Yeah,
2: That's yeah where but we'll
1: be back um, in about a week. One of one of the things that. I don't even want to say there's anything positive about this. But one of the things that have come out of this, it's been kind of easy for me to book a lot of people now because so yeah. many artists are stuck at home and we're actually having Ernie C from Body Count.
3: Yes, line. yeah. So I know yeah, you'll be well, back
1: for at least that episode.
2: I'll be back for that one and then I'll probably yeah, I'll be shut down after that because um just with work I have I have to do stuff at work and then I'm also a supervisor so there's going to be a lot of people that'll be working from home. So I got to supervise that as well. So man, that's um, like
1: a double whammy on you.
2: Yeah, yeah, and then we still haven't moved yet. We're supposed to be moving here, but things have sort of slowed down somewhat. So, of all the time to, to have a pandemic. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a <laughs>
1: pandemic inconvenience, Odell. We could do it another just time. Would you like to reschedule bit. the pandemic? <laughs> We've got a little
2: pandemic. How's, just how else do all
1: this work for you?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly right. But now, it, it, um, it's just uh like I like I tell people it's you know when I try to explain it to like uh, people that I work with it's such a a brand new thing we haven't experienced this so you know leadership doesn't know what to do there yeah our leadership is going with it like we are day by day and trying to figure out this is something so extraordinary that we how do we handle this how do we go about our daily lives you know basically we tell our coworkers like look you, the doors are open. As long as they're open, you can come in. But if you don't want to come in, don't come in. Um, it's on you. It's your prerogative, and everybody totally understands that.
1: I think six months from now, we're going to be looking at things a lot differently than we were looking at pre- – I mean, it'll be just like 9-11 is this mile marker for our, yeah. our society. It'll – in a year, two years, five years, we're going to be referring to the pre-corona days, the post-corona days, just
2: and, like and, yeah, and and I was telling, I was talking to uh, some people, and and even you know talking to uh, Susan about this. It's like this is the one thing. This doesn't discriminate. So um, all of the elitism, all of the stuff that was going on pre this, you know, it affects everybody. It, it this this disease isn't this virus isn't isn't you know hitting a select group. It's hitting those migrants. It's hitting the rich people. It's hitting the middle yeah. class. You got a private and, you know,
1: jet. I bet you don't have a problem getting tested.
2: Oh heck, no. But you're still feeling those effects. And and right. and when and when money runs out, it, it you know when when you're when your big businesses are all of a sudden boom in a span of a week, the gains that were earned in what a couple years are completely gone. Could you imagine that this thing wiped out, man? So. You know, they can say what they want, you know, to try to gear it up and say, yeah, we're going to get better. And then the stocks go up and then they go back down and all that stuff. But this is serious, man. This is like
1: this is a game changer. And for people who are not taking it seriously, your pace, your Facebook, I said Facebook, um, Facebook (laughs) posts are going to age very poorly. Yes,
2: they will. Yes, they Uh, will.
1: Let's get tonight's first guest in here. We're actually doing a new segment tonight, too. We're going to we're premiering our on the horizon segment tonight to talk with artists about their new albums. All right. Tonight's guest is a high energy and creative beacon of incandescent light in an often chaotic and uncertain world. Her music is honest and passionate and her lyrics give comfort to anyone who has ever known real pain and struggle. The multi-instrumental um producer and performer gabby bianco gabby so nice to have you on tonight hey
4: thanks so much for having me
1: absolutely and i'm glad we have you on because i feel like right now like during all the madness that's going on in these strange times people really need creators like you to give us all kind of a sense of balance and calm so I'm glad we I have really someone who has chill wave. That's going to chill us out a little.
4: You know, I, I appreciate that though I will say that my music tends toward hyper emotional. So like I feel like it's a, basically we've tricked people to listen to it and now they're all just going to cry a lot essentially.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if they could switch to crying because of the topics <laughs> in your songs as opposed to reality, that's still a step up. Yeah. They're still making out good. All right, well, let's Mm -hmm. kind of dig in here. And I want to talk about we're going to start off, of course, what everyone's talking about these days. I want to know how you're adjusting as a performer and as a human to this new reality of like self quarantines, isolation, canceled events, social distancing that we've all been thrusted into. How are you adjusting?
4: Well, I'm definitely spending a lot more time um, on my phone and online. I find that, like, even when I'm just doing day-to-day stuff, like just working on a mix or writing a new song or something, I'm I'm recording everything, uh, like filming everything now. I feel like people feel really disconnected from each other. I know I feel really disconnected from like the people that I care about and my fans and Mm. stuff, so I'm just, like, trying to – create a little bit of visibility, um, which is basically translating into everything is visible (laughs) at this point. I also feel like uh, we're trying, I mean, I did an online concert on Sunday and I noticed that like all of my musician peers are doing online concerts. So I've noticed just a massive boom in everybody performing on Facebook live or Instagram live and stuff like that. Um, So it's become a really competitive digital scape really
2: fast (laughs) how does that um how did that feel because i i i watched it and it was really it was really good by the way and um but i remember the first thing you said was how nervous you were doing something like that and and talking to friends that have that have done it recently they were just like it was one of the most nerve-wracking things i'm there and it's just sort of like me performing and and you know there's not a response but you see you see the buttons going off or or things like that so how did how did did that feel
4: um i feel like the beginning and the end are really awkward and that's so for me i like i normally do get a lot of stage fright when i'm touring but um it's like as soon as i'm on stage i'm fine and you can like kind of hide in like behind dark lighting or like right right or like haze and whatever but i think that like as soon as I started, I tried to make it as close to what I do on stage as possible because I would be way more nervous if I was, like, doing something totally different for the first time. Like, or I, I didn't feel totally in my element, um, like, what I'm used to and what I, like, feel, like, I is my strong suit. Um, but, like, if I had to just, like, get there with my acoustic guitar, like, I, I would have shit myself, like, honestly. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> But somehow turning knobs and like processing my vocals is like way more comfortable. But yeah, I feel like the beginning of the concert and the end of the concert, like wherever there would be dark lighting, is like really awkward.
1: <laughs> um,
4: but yeah, but I mean, honestly, once it started going, it kind of felt like playing any other show, like sweaty and really? I, nice. I didn't have yeah. <laughs>
1: Because I watched it as well, and when I was watching it, the one thing I thought of, because you are such an engaging and interactive performer with the audience, and you're someone who kind of thrives off that kinetic energy of those live spaces, I was just trying to imagine you kind of being like trapped behind a camera in your living room and not receiving that live energy that had to be kind of daunting, right? But it sounds like you kind of adjusted to it really well.
4: Yeah, I guess the thing is that um, so when I play live, I, I'm i a lot of times I'm really nervous about like the people in the audience. Anyways, that when like I might make eye contact with people, but a lot of times I'm making eye contact with like a speck of dust. <laughs> so <laughs> like, honestly, it wasn't that much different because it was just like, I feel like I'm sort of zoning out anyways and not trying to think to any particular. Gotcha. Person, so I'm just sort of like singing to the the nebulous collective whole, you
1: know? <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things that I had just posted this right, at, I think it was the next morning after I watched your concert, and this applies to you, but also all the incredible artist friends that I've had, going out there and still making this work. And I had posted, those artists who have found innovative ways to still create and perform music and not give it to depression, anxiety, and fear are true heroes in my book. Thanks to all the performers who refuse to let the current crisis stop them from bringing hope and joy to the masses in this time of uncertainty and chaos. And I've really been inspired by people like you that could just kind of – you could, if you wanted to, just retreat into an emo hole and just write and play video games or eat potato chips or do whatever you do in your downtime. And you guys are like, no, we're going to go out there and we're going to keep putting the good out there so people have something to look at. And a lot of other places, museums and the opera house, and are doing things like this too. The art community is really stepping up and trying to do their part. To distract people and give people something positive to focus on.
4: Wow, I love that perspective. I, I honestly like. I think a lot of it has to do with the more of a feeling of like we sort of had everything that gave our life structure, meaning, and purpose obliterated in like, yeah. in like a two-week span. So I think it also comes from just like survival mechanisms that we're just trying to find some semblance of routine or like find our uh, footing in what we consider to be normal. Um, It's just, it's incredible. I mean, I was, today I was supposed to be driving to a sold out show in Minneapolis. Um, Tomorrow's my birthday. I was supposed to be playing in Minneapolis. And I just think like, it's just such a weird adjustment that like I should have been on tour for the next like half a month but I'm I'm just not I'm like only in my house (laughs) so I think it's also a way for us to think uh find our footing a bit more in like what we were used to if that makes sense
2: and that's the thing that um I was I was about to ask you was uh I had seen that you had like a handful of shows that you know you you had just posted that they were canceled and things are really picking up for you so how with this uncertainty, how long did it take for you to realize like, okay, I'm not going to be able to do these shows. Let's look for other means for me to, uh, to perform.
4: Uh, well, the thing is I was opening for an artist that I I really admire. Her name's Verite. And, um, Mm -hmm. it was, it was really up to her team when, Uh, they were going to say, I mean, and then it wasn't up to her team, then it was up to like literally the government. Um, So we were kind of, I mean, she had it really rough because she was already on the road. She was like halfway through her tour. um, Oh, wow. I was doing like the second half with her um, or she was like a third of the way through her tour. And it was just like, I felt like she was just, like trying to push forward and keep going keep going and then finally they were just like when california said no more than 500 people together at a time that was like the day she was oh, supposed man. to play i think in los angeles oh, Yeah. Geez. so then and then i think everything escalated so fast that we were just hearing like the rules were changing every 12 hours right so yeah um i it took me i didn't know up until like 24 hours before whether it was going to be unlikely that I would go on the tour pretty much. And I I think it's been like, honestly, like, I don't even think I've fully accepted that anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Going through the motions. This is just the wildest, like once in a lifetime, hopefully experience that we're all going through that. I'm just like, I can't, I can't even like wrap my head around the fact that this is happening. I feel like I'm going to wake up and be like, oh, that was
1: a wild dream. (laughs) Like Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Like that kind yeah, of. Yeah. Exactly. Oh,
2: yeah. 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 That's it, it. It definitely has that vibe to it. All
1: right. Let me ask you this last question. It's kind of coronavirus related. And then I want to move on to your new single. And this is something I'm curious. I'm asking everybody in this new crisis, something we've never seen before. What is the biggest lesson you think you've learned about human nature during this whole thing?
4: Hmm. So I'm actually extremely impressed with how graceful. I feel that people have taken what is a collectively traumatic time. Um, yeah. I think people have like really shown um, their like uh, their grace. Honestly, I can't think of a better word than like, they're just like dealing with it so elegantly. <laughs> like that's I, a great word. A better, that's
2: a great word.
4: We haven't heard uh, like, I mean, you're not turning on the news and seeing, like, people, like, rioting and looting and, like, making it harder for, like, everyday people. Like, I think all, we're being bombarded by news of, like, our politicians failing us. But, like, I think that people themselves are really, like, stepping up. I mean, my entire Facebook timeline is people, like, sewing masks for medical workers. And, like, mm-hmm. where what's the address I should be sending these to? And blah, blah. So, like... I just think that, that I've been really taken aback with how incredible people have pivoted and how, like, grace grace under fire they're being. Um, but I also think that I've learned a big lesson about life, and, like, not really about people, but about life, that, like, you, you literally can't, and you can't really expect anything. Like, anything can change, and you have to be willing to uh, pivot. Like, so I think you really touched on, it, when you said like things were picking up and there's like a lot of momentum and stuff. So I, I think it at first is really devastating emotionally for me to mm-hmm. feel like I've worked so hard for something and then it's like moving really fast and then all of a sudden it's just like, no, you literally need to be still in your house for a month yeah. or longer and not lose leave. And then the fear of like have, have I irreversibly lost? the momentum that like we had and I just I feel like I've learned that that's nothing can do that to you you know and but also that like you need to learn that like until you're literally in that spot until it's actually happening um, I guess it's like a kind of a very Buddhist mindset like not to want or desire or like expect things because sometimes they're they're not going to turn out the way that you thought they would and just to be more fluid in. Adjusting um, instead of letting it like rock you or devastate you.
1: And also back to what you were saying about like, have I impeded my career because of this lapse of time? I'm allowed to do things. It would be different if you broke your leg and you were trapped in the house and the rest of the world was moving on. But this is a shared collective experience. So, because everybody's been putting a time out, I feel like after three months, four months, six months of being stir crazy, when we are all like kind of allowed back out of our little playpens again, the music scene is gonna go absolutely bananas. You're gonna see support and just positive vibes for music and art like you've never seen before.
4: yeah, I feel that way as well i i think I think that's the other thing, like keeping your own ego in check like. It's not just you going through this. Like, don't let your emotions, like, overwhelm you. Also, mm-hmm. I broke my hand the day my show got can- – my tour got, can- like, postponed. So that <laughs> has been pretty difficult to adjust to because it was my right hand, and it was, like, I I drummed with it the other day, and I am still, like, oh, man, that was really painful. It's still really painful. So I think I've also, like, to this- sitting at, like, at home working, but, like, with a broken hand and a pandemic. So, it's a big...
1: Oh, my goodness gracious. A
4: ...tidal wave of stuff.
1: Yeah, well, I, interesting I, stories for the next generation for you to tell. Yes. Sure.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I Like, the grandpas that are, like, in my day, we had to stay inside <laughs> for two months.
1: Yeah, except and I did it with a broken hand. hand. <laughs> 30 years from now, they'll probably have, like, super measles or something. Like something that we can't even fathom yet. Or digital, oh, some digital disease. All right, let's move on. I want to talk about Chlorine, your new single that's out. And as I was listening to this and kind of looking over your catalog, is this a precursor to an album that you're putting together? Or is anything like that on hold now and everything's just up in the air? Or was just, are you just releasing singles right now to kind of see where the universe takes you?
4: No, I mean, I've written and produced. I mean, I'm sitting on a 16 song. We're not. We're calling it a mixtape, not an album, because I'm yeah. like, no, no, no. It's gonna be a mixtape. I'm like, why? Why are mixtapes reserved to hip hop artists? Like, no. Like, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna introduce a mixtape to indie indie pop electronic artists. Um. So yeah, I. So basically, when I first started Bianca, which is about a year, a little over a year ago, I um. Started like going into sessions like every other day, basically. And at first, it was just like sessions where I would sit down in my studio. I built a home studio and like was constantly writing. I wanted to like tr- turn out like a new song every week. And then around last summer, I started like being like, "All right, like I feel like I have my confidence. Like I'm gonna have a bunch of writing sessions now." And so I got to work with people that I I, I literally idolized, like Chong um, the Nomad and Trace and Elavos and um there's tilly like a bunch of uh, incredible musicians and so i'm sitting on a body of work that is like i mean honestly I, we're probably over 20 songs now because i'm continuing to ha- write songs every week and stuff um and it has a lot of collabs on it and stuff and so our tentative timeline for the the mixtape, aka album to drop was uh, the fall, the early fall. Um, we haven't had a conversation about whether that's going to adjust yet. I mean, it, it very well may, um, but it very well may not because the music is done. So, I mean, I know right now I'm already working with two different directors on the music videos, um, for two singles that we have coming out in the summer. And then like but the music is done. So I think the only thing that would need to happen is just like, you know, our marketing plan adjusts, um, which we haven't had that conversation for yet, but yeah, you nailed it. There's a a vast and growing volume of work that like I can't really keep up with the release schedule because
1: it just like keeps growing.
4: Right, so, right. I want to be that <laughs> in the fall.
1: I predict many bands will be releasing um, the quarantine sessions. Oh my goodness,
2: gracious! Yes, and yes, like yeah yes.
1: You'll just see all these like the quarantine sessions. Here's 177 songs I wrote when I was self quarantined
2: that's
4: my my prediction I was I was literally just gonna say that last week I wrote a song that I was like you know what I'm not even gonna like wait and do a traditional song release structure I texted my manager I'm like am do I have permission to just create a time-lapse video of me in my house for like the past like however many days and just like and we just drop this song while everyone's in quarantine he's like yeah like let's do it so like I think I'm not I think for some of the stuff that we're creating in quarantine we might even just release in quarantine because it just like it's obviously a product of right now so I feel like everybody will really feel the emotions pretty hard right
2: on and and I know just from like just reading things and and this this what you're doing now this is a pretty big deal this is like you're not only did you you know you did the writing and the, the music, but you also did like the production, you're doing the production of everything. So yeah. how is that, how is that being on bo- both sides of the glass, if you will?
4: Honestly, that was the best decision I ever made. I, I don't, I this with, I have had, especially with the band I was in prior to my pro- Bianca project. Um, I've had the luxury and the, um, I've had the luxury of working with incredible producers throughout the years, and many of which have taught me a lot about production in general, Um, all of which were men. (laughs) Not that there's (laughs) anything wrong with male producers, but I've never worked with a a female producer. And so I think the best step I ever took for my art and self-expression was learning how to produce and starting to produce my own stuff. Um, It just opened up so much in terms of writing like I think a lot of artists mistakenly think of production as if it's like okay I wrote my song on my piano or guitar um, I, or on the drums I, I wrote the lyrics and like now I'm going to work with the producer and they're just going to like translate my, uh, my art like my my, my work into like a recorded, uh, a recorded song but like the reality is like it's an instrument production is like a whole nother yes, like, box of pain. So it's to, to think about production as if it's not an extension or like one of, one of, if not the most crucial part of how your art is expressed is like mm-hmm. what I think is a, a huge mistake for uh, a huge mistake for artists um, in terms of their perspective. So like, for me, it suddenly became like, Oh man, like I, I if you guys listen to Bianca stuff, you know that like one of the biggest things that I do is I use a lot of vocal samples and that is like in my live show, what I do with the drum pads I've like loaded Mm -hmm. in all these vocal samples, which are chops of, My me singing, other people singing, artists I've worked with singing, it's like, I make these little uh, percussive elements out of vocals. And like, that is like literally an instrument that I tapped into when I started learning how to produce. And I started thinking about that as like a signature instrument that is a part of every Bianco song. And like, I just feel, I will tell you that I have to be very conscious about getting exercise (laughs) because you will... (laughs) where I would normally have had like a writing session and I'm like, man, I have the lyrics. I have the song form. I have like the, the top line and stuff. And now I like can call it a day. Really all my writing sessions bleed immediately into like production sessions or mixed sessions. And mm-hmm. I'm just like cutting vocals right then and there. Um, so like I have to, be, it'll be like 16 hours that I've been like sitting in my studio like oh my god it's like really long time
2: and you, and you don't even realize it that's the thing you don't even realize it. you're in there and then you look up at the clock and you're like holy moly there's a world out there <laughs> exactly
4: exactly know yeah. it's a real thing I mean I'm sure you guys know like especially now the whole world knows now working from home like you're like yeah. oh my god like did I brush my teeth today like I don't know <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time I got up to take a piss like I don't know so I have to be I've learned to have more of like a daily routine and I to like cut myself off sometimes but like honestly producing has been I mean honestly like it's just been a a life-changing because I just I can have artists come to my house work in my studio with me we write a song we produce it right there like I can move so much faster I've eliminated a lot of the middlemen but it doesn't mean I'm collaborating any less it just means my role is now in the driver's seat a lot of the time
1: Well, let me expand on that, too, because you're also doing the editing aspect for the videos and the animation. And when I'm looking at your videos, beautifully done videos, by the Mm -hmm. way, and the backdrop screen for your live shows, having such a visual aspect or component to what you do, are you always writing while trying to keep, how is this going to look visually in mind, or do you write and then not try not to worry about how it's going to translate into the vid, into a visual medium?
4: I feel like I have like emotional synesthesia <laughs> because I, when I'm writing, I always see the visuals of what I am feeling emotionally. It's like such a undiluted emotional experience that like I can already feel like the color palette or I can already feel like, I, I mean, cause you, you can already, you know the state of emotions that you're in when you're writing it. So it's just, I'm basically just translating it into a visual depiction of what I felt already.
1: Gotcha. Um, wow. So yeah.
4: It's actually really, it's really fluid. Like honestly the visuals that go behind me as I'm performing like I it honestly never takes me longer than a day to finish a visual for a song because I'm just like I already know this is a blue and green song and this is like I want to do something with this or like and sometimes like I'll go back in in and revise videos I'll be like I'm gonna put a special message about like like for Sunday's show I put a special message about like staying home and staying connected and like staying communicative with your, with your peers and stuff and your friends and your support system. Mm -hmm. Like I just wanted to like make emotional moments in that set. So like I adjust the videos after the fact as well.
1: See, and that's the magic right (sighs) here because you talk with people and everybody's process is so different. I used to be in a punk band and when I wrote, I wrote the music and the lyrics, but when I wrote the lyrics first, it was always, what are the most direct words I can use to get my message across? How can I've got a political or culturally motivated message? How can I get that political message across in the most clearest, profound words that people are going to understand? And I never really had a visual component into my head. It was all about how to craft these words. So people would sing them back and be like, oh, yeah, you know what? I never thought about things that way. So it's interesting talking to someone who actually thinks pictorially.
4: I feel like also a lot of the things that inspire me are visual, too. Like, I, it'll be a certain TV show or a specific moment in a TV show that, like, I walk, I have to, like, pause because I have, to, I have a song idea or something. So, like, I think it's a very uh, codependent relationship, so to say.
1: Symbiotic, um, right? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep.
4: yeah. <laughs> but, it, and, you know, it, that's an interesting thing that you bring up about, like, uh, punk music because actually I feel that punk has a very natural aesthetic to it um, and it's really about the experience of the music live a lot of the times um, so it a lot of like the visual elements all involve like things that you the sensory information that you would process by consuming like That genre of music live, you know, like Mm -hmm. bodies and dark colors, like a a nightclub and like a lot of like people like mass populist type of stuff. And it just it's a real it actually is a really visual genre of music because people consume it so much live.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, every genre of music has its own kind of musical scenery to it, where you can just walk in and get the vibe and go, okay, this is the element I'm in, even if you're not familiar with that particular genre of music. But I think with the punk thing, at least a lot of the bands I listened to, which were more politically and socially driven bands... It was just kind of like, hey, man, we're frustrated. Shit isn't working the way it should be working. You know, the top 1% or that wasn't even a thing back then, but the top people, the people at the top have all the power and we're getting the table scraps. And I think it was just about conveying that message of frustration, of angst, more so than when I look at music like yours and I can just kind of be whisked away and it's helping people on a different level. It's making more of an emotional connection I think as far as, hey, we're all human beings and we have this thing in common, we have this this experience of being a human in common, as opposed to the punk thing, which was more like kind of cramming a fist down your throat and being like, we're pissed, we're here and this is why.
4: Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a, a very intense vulnerability to the type of music that I've found myself making every day. <laughs>
1: And I respect that. And I, you know, one of the things I always say about this show, I've said it a million times on here, is this podcast has afforded me the opportunity to check out bands. That I probably wouldn't check it would have checked out if I hadn't right. been doing this podcast the last few years. I'd be listening to the same fucking ten punk albums I've been listening to for twenty years. <laughs> but after I interviewed all my punk heroes, I was like, "Hey, I got to expand and start checking out some other stuff." Because I've already, you know, interviewed all the jugheads and Al Piss and everybody I wanted to talk to. And it's really kind of um, expanded my horizons musically and creatively, and it's given me a lot. And this is why I love talking to people like you, that I normally, that your world, your musical and creative world, usually wouldn't be on my radar if it wasn't for this podcast. And I'm hoping because this podcast leans more towards punk bands. We probably have 60 70% punk bands on here, 30% everything else. But I'm hoping that the people who listen regularly that are into the punk scene We'll go. Hey, she sounds cool, and what they're talking about is cool, and we'll check you out. And then people like you can pull from different pools of people that maybe wouldn't have been exposed to you. And that's how I'm hoping this whole kind of experiment works out.
4: You know, it's interesting because if punk music was such a core part of my adolescence, I was the biggest Against Me fan. Like, like there you go. Against Me stuff. Like, I, I like we're talking like those anarcho-punks-are-against-us era where he probably had, like, four strings on his guitar. <laughs> I right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like, I just, I feel, like, so much of that, like, because I, there there was something so vulnerable about the early against me stuff that I, it really taught me so much about lyricism. Um, it, it Like, honestly, that against me was probably one of the most... Um, formative bands that I was obsessed with when I was in like ninth grade through 12th grade. Um, That was a really big, I I feel like punk music in my adolescence, well, because I grew up in Connecticut, like I grew up on the border of Connecticut and New York, like by Brewster, New York. And that was like, I mean, we had Danbury Connecticut and Danbury had like a really big, Punk yeah, side. I think especially in like the early 90s and stuff. And so I, I got there at the tail end, like a decade too late, basically. But there were still <laughs> a lot of us like washed up punk kids with like, hanging out in that but I just feel like that was like a really it was probably the biggest genre of music in my suburban area growing up.
3: Very um, cool. Where we,
4: Yeah, so it, it was well, definitely think, really formative.
2: I think well I know for me because that's where I saw it it, punk music sort of sprung me into other types of music just because of the individuality aspect of it so Mm um I don't as as far as like punk music I think the attitude of individuality comes out of that so being African American and listening to punk music was a lot different and was looked upon especially when Nick and I were growing up until I got out and got into other areas where I'm like, oh, hey, there's bands that look just like me doing this. There's band, and then that sprung into other aspects of music. Um, so, um, I and I and I totally agree with you as far as the whole, just the the picture of of everything, like the the scenery, the smell, um, the look. Um, I think music in its own right. I, that, it's funny how people sort of try to uh you know categorize music but you take aspects of all of that to make your own music anyways there's a there's a hint of this coming into your music there's a hint of that coming into your music um For sure, yeah. you can't you can't get away from it so why not embrace it
4: yeah yeah exactly. not also
1: that odell we didn't have any punk friends that didn't like funkadelic like all our, f- yeah. our punk friends did like kind of Slowly get into other genres of music, so I mean it wasn't like we were all strictly listening to punk because we all came from different pockets in Southern Maryland.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You hit it right on the head. So it went from punk to, to you know, hip hop to drum and bass to to, you know early, if you want to call it chill wave. Like you know, I'm the biggest Portishead fan, and I think if there's anybody that created that genre, if you will, it's them. And um, and then all the way, I mean, even you see groups like radiohead they they dab and and they they just take it to a whole nother spectrum with whatever they're feeling they come out with so i think i think music generally is just is is phenomenal that's what i tell people all the time i'm like how are you not into it if you if, if you, you're constantly growing and yeah, I, I think rad. that's a great when thing
1: you meet someone that's like oh i just listen to whatever's on the radio i look at that person like they're an alien like what i'm
2: like nah, nah yeah. dude you gotta <laughs> you gotta get out there and listen man it's so much incredible talent out all there. All right,
1: we got to get Gabby out of here. Let me play Chlorine and then I want to come back and kind of wrap this up. Uh, is there anything you want to tell us about Chlorine before we play it? Kind of give us a setup for it.
4: You know, I think Chlorine might be one of those songs. I think it might be one of my favorite songs that I've ever created. I mean, I every time I write a new song, that becomes my favorite song. But like, honestly, Chlorine is like my closest friend of all the Bianca songs at the moment. And the funny story behind it was that I wrote Chlorine in an hour. Like I wrote and produced it oh, wow. in like an hour. Yeah. I had already like I was, I was experimenting with some hardware on my vocals that like this harmonizer sound which is the effect that you hear in the vocals and I just wrote the whole song like really fluidly right there and then I just laid it all down and it's I mean I'll, it's gone through like mixing revisions and stuff but really that production that we the bass line and everything is like from that first hour that in my studio in like August where that song just like busted out and then it just stayed out so this is like,
1: I feel like this song wrote itself, sort of. All well. Do you want to go?
4: Do you want to go down with me? Don't think
0: of yourself. I've got all that you need in the backseat like you told me in the raw summer heat. Bring your heartbeat and your ketamine and the smell of glory And the smell of glory.
1: All righty, we are back and we're going to finish up here with Gabby Bianco. Um Gabby, I want to ask you just we're going to fly through some miscellaneous questions and points because there's so many interesting little tidbits I found out about you. One of the first things I want to mention is every Christmas, we do a Christmas show on here, and we always bring songs to the Christmas show. And one of my favorite Christmas songs ever is Carol of the Bells. It's such a haunting (laughs) fucking song. Even when I was in chorus, like the first time I really – Heard it all the way through. Like, I had heard it in movies and in the background. But the first time I ever really paid attention to it was, like, eighth grade chorus. And we were all, like, kind of trying to coordinate and sing this song together. And I was like, man, this doesn't even sound like a – I was listening to Alice Cooper back then. And I was like, this is haunting. This is like an Alice Cooper song. And then I ran across your version of Carol of the Bells. And I was just fucking blown away. What that <laughs> It seems like such a left-field song to do, especially – Just kind of, like, not on a separate, like, I'm contributing to a Christmas compilation of people doing different songs. It just seems like a weird out-of-the-blue song to produce. How did that come about?
4: So, I love that song for the same reason that you love that song. I I was really attracted at the time when I was growing up to, like, Tori Amos and, like, all of the really dark, like, minor-driven melodies. And I heard that song and I was, like, blown away by it. And, um... So I was a part of this Los Angeles, the Standard Hotels. They throw this like uh, Desert Nights concert series, and it was a Christmas version of that. And so we were allowed to pick our songs. And I'm like, I want to do a dubstep version of Carol's Bells. Like I'm gonna perform Carol's Bells in a way that like no one has ever heard it. Like it mission it, it, accomplished.
3: Uh, yes.
4: Yeah. <laughs> it's like my Tim Burton dubstep nine inch nails version of of (laughs) and I recruited my amazingly talented friend Cassandra Violet she is I think hands down the best whistler the best puckerist in all of Los Angeles she's incredible that what you hear on that song that recording is her actually whistling in my studio she's just so talented but she um yeah I just I'm I've always been, that's been by far my favorite Christmas carol. In fact, I think that's the only Christmas carol I actually really like is that song and I just I wanted to make it in a way that like that I kind of had heard it for so many years inside my head.
1: Yeah, well my hats off to you man. That is a fucking <clears throat> stellar achievement. I love that Thanks. version. That's going to make it to the Christmas um episode. Yes. Maybe. Oh, yes.
4: <laughs> Amazing. Okay, it's like let's people on song to watch Edward scissor hands too.
1: There you go. On (laughs) repeat. So we are big fans of and have had on the show Egg Drop Soup. They've got a new video out for Tots. Not super new. I think it's been out for about two months now. And another crazy little tidbit is that is your kitchen, right, in that video? Yeah.
4: Yeah, Yeah, I love those guys. They are some of the best humans and phenomenally talented humans that I've ever met. So we met on the set of a Halsey music video. So Halsey uh, made this music video for her single Nightmare last year. And uh-huh. It was like Debbie Harry in it and stuff. It was actually like probably the most punk rock of all Halsey pop songs. Um, and they were the band. They were her backup band. And so I was also in the music video and we all like hung ended up hanging out for the whole day that it was shooting in the Fox studios. And by the end, we walked away and I'm like, you guys are like my best friends now.
1: They are awesome. They, like, they are great.
4: Yeah. So when How they, did they end they up in, in your place,
1: kitchen? Do you have like the coolest Coke kitchen did. in L.A.?
4: I have a big – well, I think the thing was, so I was already on tour, um, and I saw that they posted on Facebook. They're like, does anyone have, like, a big kitchen that would – that could be turned, like, retro 50s? And I'm like, I do, and I'm on tour. So, like, you can just, like, go into my house and shoot. And oh, no, you weren't was, even like, there. Last summer. Yeah, I wasn't even there. They were just, like – Hung out with my dog and shot in my kitchen and like, cleaned everything. <laughs> How up. cool is that? <laughs> I know. And then afterwards, like my my roommate was like, the house is literally cleaner than before they came. <laughs> like, oh, so amazing that's great. Good.
1: Now they shall do all yeah. their videos from your house, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me read a quote I read of yours, and I don't read um, artist quotes that often on um, the show, but this really resonated with me, and I thought this was a phenomenal quote. I'd read this in an interview. You said, I have too many emotions, so my music is more of a dumpster for all of them, and occasionally I light that dumpster on fire. Now, that's punk rock right there.
2: Yes, that's (sighs) it.
1: And that's just yeah. a great quotes. So is that how you kind of visualize it? Like just this dumpster of chaotic emotions. And then once in a while, you just kind of come over there and firebomb it.
4: Yeah, 100%. Like, uh, yes. And by firebomb, I mean, sometimes like there's a single that we're dropping where the lyrics literally say, like, screw your ex, he's a bitch. And so are all his right, friends. Right. Like, sometimes I'm just like, I just like give no fucks. Like where, like sometimes that your your pain is so raw that it's like screaming, you know. So you're just yeah. That that's when I light light it on fire. But usually my music has been a way for me to uh, keep my therapist bills down <laughs> and <laughs> process my emotions without fists. So I uh, I it, it's always going to be a dumpster of my emotions and then sometimes I just like channel all my Aries rage into that lighting that dumpster on fire.
1: Yeah. All right, let's finish up with this the last tidbit because I come from a very strange childhood and I have heard and read a lot about your childhood. You're a classically trained pianist and your mom was kind of more of a hippie person. And <laughs> one of the things I read that was fascinating to me is your mom, one of the characters in the movie Almost Famous. The Cameron Crow movie was you know, actually oh my based on your mom, and I just thought that was another weird turn in the history of Bianco. I couldn't believe it. Well, that's
4: what the rumor is. That's what that's what our rumor <laughs> is. I think her her and her group of uh, friends definitely saw a lot of concerts. Um, well, now I'm not going to speak to any of like the romantic connections amongst the <laughs> rock stars and their group of friends, but I will say that. My mother and her relationship with music and her love and passion for music is—I mean, she transferred that to me at a very young age. It's infectious. Like her thirst for the like great songwriters of the past hundred years or 50 years however long you want to say it but like her thirst for Led Zeppelin and Fleetwood Mac and like Annie Lennox and these artists that she she passed them on to me and I really wouldn't be the artist that I am today if it wasn't for her like enormous appetite for art for music.
1: And, you know, one of the questions I asked when I first started podcasting, I started in politics. I was doing activism work and stuff. But when I once I started transitioning over to just um, interviewing comedians and musicians, one of the things I was curious about is when you have a guy like Woody Harrelson and you hear about his upbringing or Kelsey Grammer and you hear these horror stories and then you hear people who come from these really nurturing and supportive environments. I was like, man, I wonder which is better for being the, like the creative process that you come from this place where you can pull from all this anger and angst, or if you come from this place that was supportive and nurturing. And I think after talking to three, 400 people over the years, I think I've kind of landed on the side and you guys could agree or disagree that people who come from a more nurturing and supportive environment kind of do better at this than people who come from train wreck childhoods.
4: Well, I don't know. Yeah. Well,
1: here's the
2: yeah i'll let you answer this one (laughs) yeah i think i
4: think so my mother was like um she was very she gave me the medium with which i was going to communicate a lot of my train wreck experiences as a child so i Mm -hmm. i would not say that i had any easier of a childhood in fact unfortunately there was like a lot of abuse and stuff that but i will say that my mother was a bit of a saving grace throughout it. She was uh gay and she unknowingly transferred me a way to handle my emotions that didn't I mean for a little bit of time they involved a lot of wall but like I basically was able to build the faculties um to to not like lean on that through music which was Due to her, so honestly, I'm gonna re- I'm gonna one up you. I'm gonna say I think it's a combination because I think trauma builds character and that gives mm-hmm. you a different language with which you can translate your emotions a lot of times. Wow, yeah, Ex-
2: yeah, yeah, especially especially when it comes to different things that you handle if you if you are really staying in to music because there's so many peaks and valleys and 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 not only in just writing and producing and music, but once you get out and you start playing. And once you have to deal with the business side of things, and and then everything that comes with it, there's so much stuff that you that you have to deal with. That um, I feel, and this is just from a personal experience, that the nurturing does help because it, it gives oh, you yeah. that sense of comfort. But having that adversity and going through that, you know, sort of prepares you for okay, um, I can, I can, I can, I have a thick skin. I, I can take a little bit of this. I can do this. Yeah, I can bounce this off. If you make it that far. far, as far as I, yeah, yeah, you exactly. Know, I
1: think a lot of people will never. I mean, I know me personally. My childhood was a horror show. And once I was like in my mid-30s, I kind of got my shit together. But I feel like I would have been the person I was in my mid-30s and my mid-20s had I had a better environment I grew up in. It just right. took me 10 right. years to right. untangle all that shit in my head.
4: You know, that's a really, I think that's a really uh, correct way of looking at it, honestly. Mm-hmm. The thing is that, like, I think we've been sold a myth that, like, art can only be created under traumatic experiences. But the reality is it's kind of a lot like, you know, like our economic situation where it's like people are like, oh, no, this builds character and adversity. And you're like, no, man, like, my life would just be better if there was better wealth distribution, actually. It's (laughs) like, you know, I don't want to have to, like, go through, like, crazy trauma in order to, like, be a phenomenal artist. Like, I think maybe if I was, if I had access to my emotions at a younger age without, like, being told to, like, man up or toughen up, like, yeah, I would be able to still access my emotions and not be traumatized and, like, A statistic for my whole life,
1: you know. Plus, you can't really minimize anybody's trauma, or you can't really compare, because somebody who's been at this level of struggles in their life, if they hit a small road bump, that may be as traumatic to them as somebody who's had a much harder life and hit a giant roadblock. Though, like the way it affects and impacts them mentally and spiritually and emotionally, might be equal because of the playing field they're already on. So, I mean, we could go down this rabbit hole all night, but we got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. You've been a delight. We've ran way yes, over. Yes, thank you. Let's get you out of here. Thank you so much for calling in. Like I said, we've got to keep talking to creative people, keep talking amongst ourselves, be a support system for ourselves so we can get through this thing. So I appreciate you spending 40 minutes with yes, us. definitely. And before you go, please tell everybody where we can find you on the interwebs.
4: Well, first of all, thank you for having me. This has been an honest gem in my day. And you can find me at bianco.com, so B-I-I-A-N-C-O. And on Instagram, it's it's Bianco, so I-T-S-B-I-I-A-N-C-O. On Spotify or any of, like, the streaming services, it's Bianco with two I's, so B-I-I-A-N-C-O. And Facebook, you can just type that in, and they'll give it to you. You can find me on TikTok, too, but it's mostly just, like, videos of my dog. (laughs) (laughs) TikTok?
1: Everybody's talking about TikTok. Me and Odell's pushing 50, so. Yeah,
3: we're all about but, Facebook. TikTok.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks again. You be safe. And I look forward to seeing all of the um, kind of isolation and mandatory, like, like, everybody sheltered in the house. Like, what you create over the next, hopefully it won't be much longer than a few months. maybe yeah, even hopefully. Shortly. Yeah,
4: hopefully. <laughs>
1: all right, you take thanks care. Thanks
4: so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a
1: great day. Bye. All right. Welcome to our new segment on the horizon, where we chat with compelling artists about their upcoming and newly released album. Tonight's guest is a poetic musical storyteller whose music is a soul engulfing, um, wonderland full of folksy psychedelic imagery. And he's a damn good musician as well. Let's welcome B apple seed B. How you doing? Excellent. How are you doing? Good, good, man. I'm glad to have you on tonight, and I hope you're safe during all this chaos.
3: Yeah, uh, it's a crazy time for everyone around the world, uh, but here in Los Angeles, I'm, I'm fortunate I'm doing all right.
1: Right on. Um, kinda Let's jump right in, because we're having artists on to talk about their new albums, and before we do that, since this is your first time on the show, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your career, because you've been doing this for 15 years, and you've had a pretty intense career yeah
3: (laughs) yeah um yeah i've been in the game for a minute uh i'm 30 now i started playing guitar when i was 14 and uh, my first international performances were when i was 19 i played some shows in ecuador and peru and then uh when i was i mean i played some shows around the country and then i finished college when i was 22 and i uh, finished college in Vienna, Austria. Actually, um, just it was like a study abroad program, but it was my last term of of school. And so I just I was in Europe on a one way ticket, and one thing led to another. I ended up playing over 300 concerts in like 40 countries, 40 something oh, wow. countries in in the course of three years. And in 2015, I came back to the states. I moved to Portland, uh, where I'm originally from, in the suburbs of Portland, but I moved to the city. At this time, lived there a couple of years, made a few records, one of which is this one that we're about to talk about. And um, now, over the last three years, I've been in uh, Los Angeles, and and yeah, it's been quite a journey. Um, played. A lot of shows. I think something like 700, maybe. <laughs>
1: oh, that wow. is no joke. All right, well, let's talk about that new album, Star Flowers, Cosmic Soul. Right now it's on Baby Robot Records because I read a little bit about the backstory, the catalyst for this album, and once again, an intense story, if you want to share it.
3: Yeah. Um, well, the backstory to this record is um, I was... And, uh, I, well, I, originally, the first time I tried moving to Los Angeles, I'll just say it, it didn't work out and, um, gotcha. <laughs> circumstances, one thing led to another and, um, I ended up couch surfing, um, which I had done throughout my travels in Europe, all that long journey. Um, I organized a number of shows that way actually as well. But in this instance, I just reached out to some, a few people in the area and, um, someone I had no idea she was like this shamanic healer, like you know, had this great wealth of knowledge. The the woman I ultimately ended up staying with for a couple of weeks, um, and I stayed with her and her uh children and grandchildren, and um, yeah, she she was legit, she would just hang out and uh, tell me stories for hours about how she had healed people in different ways and it kinda became the situation where like no matter what your belief is on like uh these kinds of um you can call it alternative medicine or you can call it Mm -hmm. like a variety of different titles but um whatever you think about that like you can't discount their experience (laughs) and like for sure yeah they tell you stories for a long time you're like okay I know like there's something more beyond like my rudimentary ability to perceive reality, you know. <laughs> and so well, that's a, um, it was it was a kind of a shifting moment, you know. I was just was living with this person. And I was I was writing a lot. I wrote "All Is Forgiven" on our farm. Um, I wrote parts of other songs there as well. And um, yeah, uh, so anyway, I went back to Portland after that. Collected myself. Got a band together um made this record and it turned out amazing took a while to release it for the cards to line up uh, right but fortunately I mean I worked hard I've always worked hard at this game you know you gotta be good at the music but also good at your at promoting yourself and just being able to like learn the skills you might need to get to where you're trying to go so I recognized that I wasn't super good at the the publicity aspect, but one thing led to another, and I ended up interning for Baby Robot, which at the time they were just a PR company. Mm-hmm. And um, they, towards the end of my internship, they were like, "Yeah, we're thinking about starting a record label, trying to get that off the ground." And I was like, "Oh, cool, huh? Let's stay in touch." And you know, they're they're friends, like these guys, lot awesome. people. I I talk to them yeah. regularly and stuff. One of the guys, Steve LeBate, he plays lead guitar in my band as well. So that's convenient. <laughs> and, a lot um, he, of
1: cosmic connections there, it, huh?
3: Yeah. It's not like he's a bad lead guitarist and a good contact. He's a great lead guitarist and a great contact. So
1: There you um, go. I
3: love, I love <laughs> having him around. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, so anything anyway, uh, like a year later, it was just kind of like we were casually hanging out and they were looking for new projects and there it was you know like finally came the time to put this out and and uh yeah it's an amazing record i wrote it uh to be experienced as an album i know there's a lot you know these days a lot of people have shorter attention spans and Back in right. the day, where people were really writing records to be listened to as records, you know, like now it's more just like churning out singles and like your record more yeah, likely than not. like a collection of songs rather than like a journey you sit through for the whole thing and listen to it and like it transports you to another place, you know. Um, gotcha.
1: Let me interject on this point, though, because we just had, not long ago, Susie from Brahma on, Odell, and had this conversation, and I really think people are hungry, hungry, especially now in quarantine, to put on a record and just have it whisk them away so they can kind Uh, of forget about the chaos outside their fucking window.
3: For sure. Did you see that article in the LA Times recently about just that?
1: yeah yeah uh, actually, yeah yeah the- talking oh things. yeah
3: He's listening yeah, so we're yeah,
1: on, yeah. on our music page, and I totally agree yeah. with that well it's it's amazing, yeah.
2: uh b that you were talking about that, and just the fact it's so ironic how things come together, like the big, for example, like vinyl, the last handful of years has really taken off again, and then you have yeah. something like this where you have this 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 thing that's keeping everybody inside, so younger kids now can experience what the older generation listened to and be like, yeah, this is what we were about. You can go in and the younger kids can tap into their parents and be like, this is the time to do that. This is the time to be like, this is what I was listening to. This is the stuff that I listened to. You know what I mean? And, um, going back to your band, not only was it a band, but it, when you did this album, was it, if, if I read it right, was it a You had a 15 person band.
3: It was uh, like well, yeah, I mean, it was a fifteen-person band. It, like when all the originally, I think when we went in the studio, it's maybe like five or. Well, so we recorded it in steps. So the band was like gotcha, okay. So we recorded. Um, the whole setup was kind of like you know the Beatles set up, like the the traditional rock band kind of setup, like two guitars, bass, drums, and a scratch vocal track that you didn't use at the end, and so. That's how we retract out the whole record over two days, uh, one side one day and one side the next day. And after that, we just came in did overdubs. We had, um, yeah, backing choir, including some of the people who play those instruments. Um, it was like ten people. There's a video on the way that's coming is like the recording sessions and all that that I am say to show people. But um, yeah, it was an experience, man. It was uh, it was. Quite the journey to record this, and it's you quite on journey to listen to.
1: <laughs> clarinet, yeah, bro, by D- Daniel McEntire,
3: Andy Rayburn played this sax and the clarinets. Um, That's and awesome. Trevor uh, played violin on one of the songs. Um, so how
1: does this work live? You you're you're not going out on stage with ten twelve people, right? Are you just scaling the songs down live? <laughs> uh well i've been here
3: in la three years and it was a a difficult experience for me or anybody to arrive in a new city and then try to put a band together because people don't know you and it just it takes a while you know yeah Um, yeah in portland i it's it's easier just cost of living is lower and all this kind of stuff portland's just like more naturally like open to collaboration i think there's um, or at least I suspect there's more musicians in the city per capita than there are people. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, so anyway, it's just, it's, it's a different vibe, but three years in, uh, the band is together. The band sounds amazing. It's, um, I think it is 10 people. <laughs> oh, wow. If I, if I try to count it. Um, we haven't played our album release show yet because of the kind of, you know, everything got shut down, and our yeah. show got moved back to May 29th at right. the okay. Park Bowl in Los Angeles. But, um, you know, we're ready for that. The vinyl is going to be there. It's going to be awesome. Um, I'm excited to finally. Share this stuff with everyone.
1: How are you working on the basics of it? Do you all get in the studio and you're kind of writing the parts for each instrument, or are they listening to the tracks and just kind of jumping in like a jazz situation? Do they get it where it wants to be? Tell me about that process.
3: Yeah, um, well, I always kind of collaborated with like musicians that I have a lot of confidence in. You know, like I know that they can. Like sometimes I have to guide people in different ways and a lot of it um, can be trial and error at times, you know, like with recording, I'll be like, uh, I don't play saxophone, but could you play something like this? And then it's like, you mean like this? And it's, oh, that sounds amazing. Except let's try <laughs> this one part, just change it something more like this. And then we kind of like shape it into something that works, you know? Um, gotcha. Like. For, I don't need to give a lot of the musicians I play with a lot of guidance. um, That's cool. Because they're just, they're legit. Unless I have a specific idea in my head that I got to like communicate to them. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I I write the songs and I I write them um, to, like, I can picture it, how it sounds as a band, you know, I know what instruments I want to be in there, I know different Like, I have an idea of the direction, but, like, when it really comes together, it's like it came together because the musicians are so talented, you know? (laughs) Nice, nice.
1: Well, let me go over here real quick, because when I was doing the deep dive in all things Be Applebee, I was listening to some of your previous stuff, like Backpacker Blues, and that seems to be a reflection of the journeys you took in Europe for three years, kind of hiking through Europe, and then you have this album, and that's kind of a reflection of the era that you were writing all those songs when you were living with the shaman. Is that kind of your process? You go out into the world, like Hemingway said, you have to go out into the great expanse, out into the territory, you collect these experiences, and then they come out musically after the fact? Yeah, um, I mean, there's...
3: (laughs) It's it's generally like that. I I write my songs based on
1: experience,
3: and um, I mean I meet so many people in my travels, and um, their stories become like you incorporate everybody's. If you're really like on it, right? I I think you kind of like incorporate the 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 human experience into your writing in some kind of way. You know, you're like just Trying to take in stories from other people and taking stories of your own and the real goal in my music is how can I write this so that the personal experience becomes a universal experience, you know what I'm saying? Right, right, like, right. How can right. I speak for more than just myself when I'm writing these songs?
1: <laughs> Alright, well let's play a track off this. I wanted to pick my favorite track that was under yes. you know five minutes long because I wasn't gonna play a nine minute song. But so All let's right, play so that one's kick ass if you listen to it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what? I'm talking about? Life is only beginning.
3: Life That's is only a... we're
1: gonna talk about I know there's a <laughs> video yeah, get... coming out for that too, but let's play play another time and then we'll come back and wrap this up. Okay, yeah, yeah. i are enjoying it.
0: Oh, where you find me again on a day? Why are you waiting for another time? Na-na-na-na-na-na-na na I when I was a child, maybe 12 years old I've just came in the boys gas since I stopped the wrong, the wrong, the I'm just new.
1: we are back we are talking with b appleby about his new album and i have so much here i want to get to but we've got to start wrapping this up one of the things i wanted to talk to you about though is i had read in an interview you worked on a video for life is only beginning i imagine this is going to be a huge undertaking because this is a very all-encompassing song mm-hmm. yeah uh,
3: that video actually it's already done um i'm trying to find the right place for it to be introduced into the world but um, okay yeah that was uh, a documentary video that was shot when we were recording uh it was filmed by myself and my bassist uh brett olivieri and um he played bass and he also did backing vocals on the record and uh yeah there's a lot of shots of us at uh, the guest house in olympia washington where nice uh, we recorded this album uh my nice. friend river nathan it's where he was living and um yeah we tracked it all out in the basement for the most part and then there's some overdubs in different rooms in his
1: house and yeah it was a it was a really cool undertaking uh really cool experience um, and no eta on when the release is or it'll be released when you feel that the time has come
3: i've I've thought that the time has come for a while. <laughs> but, uh, I'm gonna see when it when it does.
1: <laughs> okay, let's finish up with this because you have such a prolific history. Like I said, 15 yeah. years in writing music, over 500 songs recorded. You've played in over 50 countries. Looking back on your career, and you're only 30. My God. Oh my Looking gosh. Back on your career. At thirty, do you feel like you're where you set out to be, or do you not even kind of think in those terms? um
3: uh, it's it's hard to say I mean, I'm just trying as hard as I can every day to just do as much as I can for the music, get it out in the world and and hopefully you know every every place I've been everywhere I'm going, and you know it's just one step at a time and and so I'm just taking those steps.
1: <laughs> right on. All That's right. awesome. going to get you out of here. Uh, B, I want to thank you so much for calling in. The album yeah, is man. awesome. Uh, where can we pick it up, Al? Why don't you tell everybody where we can pick it up?
3: Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's available online. You can stream it in all the places. It's on Bandcamp, for digital, download, the vinyl. Unfortunately, as you can imagine, there's been some delays. But we should have the vinyl available for our album release show. Uh, and the name of the mean, album after the end of the Starflowers Cosmic, Cosmic Soul, Soul. B. Appleseed. Yeah, awesome, right. awesome.
1: And um, you want to give us any kind of social media as far as Instagram and stuff like that to find you on?
3: Yeah, uh, Instagram is bee dot appleseed. Uh, you know, like Johnny Appleseed and uh, Facebook. Let me look that up real quick. What is it? I think it's. Facebook.com slash official B. Appleseed
1: HQ. <laughs> uh,
3: well,
1: yep, that's the one. All righty, B. You be very safe oh, yeah, out there. And I want to thank you. Thanks, for coming man. In. And hey, you helped us. This is our first time doing this on the horizon segment. So I want to thank oh, you cheers. for kind of inaugurating yes. this
3: with us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Uh, for oh, your, anytime, bro. Your special debut.
1: Right on. Awesome. I look forward to up Thank you, B. Come up
3: with. Thanks, B. Yeah, thank you. Cheers,
1: everybody.
2: Take care. Cheers. You too, man.
3: Yeah.
1: righty Odell. Um, I guess I'll be talking to you in a couple weeks when we record with Ernie. But yeah. I'm gonna miss being on air with you on a consistent basis. Can you believe the crazy times we're living in? Dude,
2: man, if you would have told me a couple weeks ago, oh yeah, a pandemic's about to break out and <laughs> our, our way, but it just shows you that, you know, what, you just gotta we're 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 not in control. And um but when life hits you with these things, you just gotta roll with it, and um, it it'll be a big it it'll be fun. I think we'll we'll enjoy. I, I think a lot of people have taken a lot of things for granted, but these last handful of years, and the, just the small things, well, the things that we used to think were really grand or just very small and minute, Indeed. when something like this happens, and I really hope and I and I pray every day that you know that when this is done and this passes and, and we make it through this that people really appreciate who they have around them and
1: well and I like, well, you know agree. Yeah man. Um and another thing I will end with this I find interesting this just popped into my head is this the thing in human nature where when something like this happens we're so desperate to understand it that end of the world as we know it that song by REM for the first time in yeah. 35 years has broken into the Billboard 100 and first outbreak time. with Dustin Hoffman is the like number one trending movie on fucking Netflix it's yeah, like you would think we would try pandemic
2: to get... yeah the, the yeah, how to pandemic is when the number one Nope. And no, instead people... it's
1: like, I want the happy ending. Let me watch Outbreak and hope that this turns out like the Dustin Hoffman movie and yeah. a nice little nod <laughs> in ninety minutes. And that, that's not how life works. But I feel no. like it, it just it's a really big I wish I wish I, if I could go back in time, one of the things that would change is become an anthropologist and just kind of watch people like why they do these things, like nobody wanted to listen to that song for 35 years not enough to get into the billboard 100 and now all of a sudden it's a huge hit that's just interesting to me all right we're out of here uh d thank you as always for working your magic and all you guys wash your hands y'all Can I that's all she ever has to say (laughs) Mm -hmm. all right you guys be safe and we'll be back shortly
2: you too man